0: Well, it's lovely to be here this morning. I'm Sally, and um, most of you know that, but some of you might not know that. And um, um, Viv and I put something together for you this morning, and everything that we've heard so far has all been part of the context of what we're going to share. God's love, God's kindness, God's breakthrough, God's care for us. Um, and it's it's a real joy to be able to bring this context to you. Um, I've been working for most of my life in that context. First with Rwanda Mission, then with the church, then with Tear Fund, and um, now um, with Exeter Diocese. And uh, one of my joys is actually I work with people um, around Devon who are working on these issues too. So I think I saw Carol here. Uh, Somewhere. So um, did you know there are about 25 food banks across Devon as well? So this is something that's really close to the heart of God and it's always a joy to speak about it because it's such a a heartbeat of God, really. Um, Some of you are really well-versed and well-informed about these issues and some of you haven't thought about them very much. And I'm hoping that this morning there's going to be a little bit for all of us what we're kind of leading up to, which is um, going to be some time for us to reflect. It's something that's going to be relevant for all of us. Um, So it doesn't really matter where we are. Um, There'll be plenty of opportunities, I'm sure, for conversations and discussions and questions at another stage. Um, So this is just something that we're going to kind of open the subject up. First, first of all. Upside down, kingdom. I love talking about this because um, God's love is so radical. Some of these we know from the scriptures. Some of you might know these scriptures that uh, are being referred to here. Down is up. Serving is leading. Giving is receiving. <laughs> the last becomes first. So if you're feeling at the bottom of the pile, it's really good news. <laughs> and, um, and all of us do, actually, at different times. love your enemies, really strong stuff, and losing your life is finding it, really powerful. But isn't that true, all of those of us who know and who've had that kind of transforming power, those wonderful baptisms last um, week, you know, losing your life is actually finding it. Somebody said to me, she's had a good week. It's so significant that when God comes into our lives, he turns things upside down and actually all of these radical things start to happen in our lives and we start to see things and expect things in a different way yeah. and um, this is the world over next right things can look a bit upside down in the world um, I'm not a great one for statistics but I'm going to just talk you through a few um, statistics are kind of numbers but as soon as we start to talk about these statistics um, God knows every one of us. He knows our names in this room. Isn't that amazing? So he actually knows the names of the people we're talking about now. Um, it has to be said in the context that actually over the last 25 years we've seen more people come out of absolute poverty than we've ever seen before. So. Although this is going to look like bad news, it needs to be in the context of the fact that the the world is moving in the right direction and that the enormous amount of work has been going on and is being achieved. And thanks to healthcare, water supplies and um, many other development um, programs and the emphasis across the world on targeting some crucial things, you know, life has changed for a significant number of people. However, 830 million people are working hard to feed their families but earn less than $2 a day. Most of the world's food is grown by smallholder families across the world. We think it's grown by our farmers in Devon, don't we? <laughs> or in great big sort of um, fields across America. But actually most food that's actually going towards uh, supporting life is grown by ordinary people in their small holding and as small holding fields their local fields around their homes across the world and they are working hard to feed their fans um, the work is a, an emphasis that the United Nations has just um, brought out um, so when they can't despite the fact that they're working hard, they're still not able to do this, you then have the next statistic that comes up. At least 21 million people are currently in forced labour. Trafficking, modern slavery, forced labour is a big issue. Um, It's it's contributed to the refugee crisis in Europe. Um, And and people are taking to that, um, they are vulnerable to that because (laughs) they can't work hard enough to feed families. Um, this is why so many of us are really keen on trade justice across the world, and why it's been such an important development, and um, why I'm so keen to support trade craft and what Viv does here among us. Um, however, so we've got this um, difficulty of people working hard, but they're still struggling to feed their families. The other significant thing that we need to think about is climate change. And climate change, um, I think we're very aware of this in Devon. Devon is aware of its own environment and its needs to look after itself because we have such a beautiful environment. But actually climate change is something that we do here and it affects the whole world. You can't kind of package it up. What we do here doesn't stay here above our, our, our earth about our Dartmoor and our streets um, what we do here has an impact on the whole earth and therefore it affects other people and it's affecting the most vulnerable first as it always does anything that happens always affects us if we, if we are vulnerable um, in the UK when the economic crisis came in 2008 It was, and still is, the most vulnerable among us who are finding it hardest. Uh, That's caused the growth of food banks across the UK. Um, And we're seeing refugees move. There is even some thinking that actually climate change was part of the contributing factor that unsettled Syria, because the crisis in Syria happened after a very significant drought wouldn't be right to say it was one of the causes. But actually, it, it was one of the, the reasons why Syria was kind of ripe for an uprising. There was a very significant and, um, and difficult drought and famine in Syria shortly before. And um, if you want to know more about that, you can come and ask me. Um, so there isn't a direct link. And most refugees who move around because of climate change, they move quite... Um, kind of slowly and consider tend to move somewhere within their own nation. Um, but it is causing movement. Um, people are having to move out of their, because of the rising su- uh, sea levels, people are having to move out of their communities. And um, developing countries, their governments are changing things and, and putting in um, uh, sort of arrangements to respond to this. So actually, whilst we're responding to climate change, the people who are having to respond and adapt really quickly are those families across the world in developing countries. Um, Now remember that these people, come back to it, are people, um, God knows their names. We only know the numbers. But our amazing creator God, creator of the universe, not just our solar system even, many solar systems, somehow he knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. So he knows our names and he knows the names of these people. Um, And so we've got 45 million people who are now directly impacted by climate change. So, you know, the impact on us in climate change is it's you know, it's changing our lifestyle a little bit, and um, we're aware <laughs> of our weather and the rain, and it's going to change our summers. And uh, we're aware of um, the impact on our local farmers, and we might be aware of the fact that the impact on our supermarket shopping. Did you see the news about how um, Tesco's was rationing lettuces, yeah. courgettes? Yeah. Uh, though they. they uh, you know, our food is grown elsewhere as well as locally It's, it's you know, it goes around the world and what ends, what ends up in our supermarkets was grown in Spain and when Spain is a, suffering a drought suddenly it can't supply our supermarkets with what we've got used to so it is, um, it is something that impacts us in a very small way but this is actually impacting 45 million people quite directly Lives are affected by hunger and malnutrition. Malnutrition has a big impact, not just on that moment, but on a child's whole development. And uh, there's a, uh, a great concern as soon as you see malnutrition in the community that actually those families are going to grow up and those adults aren't going to be able to work as hard and aren't going to be able to contribute in the way because their development has been stunted. Um, they're still important people. And many of them make very significant contributions. Actually, you can track some wonderful stories through from people, but actually, that we have to recognize that that's um, a cost to the community when there's malnutrition and hunger around. So, remembering that actually, God knows all the names of these. looks very upside down, but that's not actually the upside down that we're talking about this morning. We're talking about this amazing fact that God knows the names of those people, and actually on God's news feed, I don't know about your news feed, my news feed has Trump and Brexit, yeah, Trump and Trump and Trump, (laughs) and um, Brexit, and um, it had the Oscars on it the Leicester football manager on it. You know, all these important people, celebrities, politicians. However, the scriptures teach us that in God's newsfeed, he has those who are at the bottom of the pile. He has us when we're feeling really vulnerable and slightly overwhelmed and rather powerless. He has um, people who are Feeling hungry, lowly, Um, he's he's, um, got the captives, he's got the blind, those who are disabled, um, those who are feeling oppressed, those who are actually oppressed. Those are the people who are coming up top. So if you ever feel like one of those, you're coming up top in God's news feed today. I love that. I need that. Um, and so actually, these scriptures here are just um, two scriptures that describe throughout the Bible that God has a favor for the poor and the marginalized. Often you'll read about, um, a verse that refers to the widow, the orphan, the stranger. There's this little list that comes and says, I'm concerned about the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. Do this to the widow, the orphan, the stranger. And this is a wonderful summary of people who are vulnerable. And the scriptures echo with this theme. And then when Christ came, he stood up and he announced. And he quoted from Isaiah and said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Now, Luke, I was really pleased to have St. Luke with us a couple of weeks ago. Because that is one of my favorite Gospels. And Luke is just tremendous about this. Luke, who wasn't um, a Jew, so he was looking from the outside in and looking at the life of and um, here, we, here he tells us about how Jesus stood up. And you can see the echo between uh, what Mary said and then what Jesus stood up to say. and said, here I am now to do this. And um, my William Barclay, who's written a, a wonderful daily study of Luke, says, this isn't spiritual revolution, this is social transformation. And as you go through the Gospel of Luke, you see time and time again how Jesus turned things upside down of the social order. Often a lot of the stories that we read, we get really excited about because they're telling us about healing. And we need healing. And we need salvation. But if we unpack those stories a little bit more, we see how just radical Jesus was being. So when he says, um, in Luke, it says, "Let the little children come to me," and we think, "Oh, that's so cute, isn't it?" But actually, it's probable that those children were street children, and that they were just around and about, and that Jesus was a respected kind of, kind of like a rabbi or a scribe. He was a he was a, a teacher and a leader and respected um, for part of his ministry. <laughs> And so when he said, as a um, a man of status, teaching the crowd, and said, let those street children come to me, he was giving them a status that they didn't have otherwise. So he was doing much more than just saying, it's really nice to have the children around. He was actually saying, these orphans, these street children, are important, and I will speak to them. Don't keep them from me. So then you have the other story, of um, the woman who'd been shut away and had, had a hemorrhage for years and years and years and hadn't been able to heal. And she goes out and she touches Jesus. And um, Jesus turns around and says, Who touched me? And it's a great big crowd. And everybody's saying, Don't be ridiculous who touched you. Everybody's touching you. Everybody's reaching out towards you. And then he has a conversation with her. What's so, one of the things that's so significant about that is that she should have been away in home. She wasn't allowed out in the streets. She wasn't allowed, certainly wasn't allowed to come and speak to a rabbi, a man, a teacher, a scribe. So when he stopped and turned to her and spoke to her, he was saying this, this upside-down kingdom. He says, I'm here to actually change the way society is happening. I'm going to say that those who are poor and vulnerable, who feel lonely, who feel locked away and withdrawn. I'm going to say, come forward. I want to talk to you. You belong here with us. You're as important as everybody else. It was just turning things upside down for the people. One of the reasons why they got so cross with him, you know, the people who got crossest with him were, of course, the religious people, and um, and he got very cross with them. Actually, <laughs> it wasn't all sweetness and like gentle little shepherd, he got a rather outraged in return. So, I know it's good news. God, Jesus gets cross when things go wrong. <laughs> yeah, next side, thanks. So, here we go. We're beginning to understand that actually our Christian faith is much more... Um, than just a spiritual transformation, it's actually about a real social order transformation, and um, I think this is really helpful to us to think about this because it gives us an authenticity in our faith that will give us a confidence. I find it gives me a confidence um, deep in my soul, and. Um, when we see Jesus move around through the gospels we read his stories we can see that actually what's happening is that he's living out what he what he said what he said when he stood up and claimed that prophecy in Isaiah for himself he then lives it out in the way that I'm just described so he had re- he that's one of the ways that he was um, into he was incarnate he kind of lived it and experienced it. And everything that he did, everything he valued, everybody he spoke to, he lived that principle, those principles out. So he had great integrity and authenticity. And I think this is something that I want to really encourage us to think about more and more, about how we can become really authentic and about our values, think about in the light of God's priorities and values, and consider our lives as to how we're living out this transformation, not just in our prayer times or on a Sunday. I'll we'll talk a little bit more about it now. But um, yeah, here are two quotes, really useful quotes from people. Describing this, this is, um, this is something that we can start to consider for our lifestyle and more. Um, A lot of the script—I've got a handout that you can take home with you. Uh, so a lot of the scriptures that I'm referring to, and these books that I'm referring to, and some of the websites that we can do and look further on—you can take home with you and have a look at. Thank you, Oni. Right circles. We all like this, don't we? Oh, good, there's a, there's a chart here for me to look at. Uh, some, of us, some of us relate to charts better than others. Um, but this is a really, mod- a really useful model, actually, and I, I, I think it's worth spending some time on this. This is from um, some development theologians, Derry Hughes, who I used to work with at Tier Fund and somebody called um, Bryant Myers of World Vision. And the way that they started to look at the whole theology of development and global justice was actually looking at our relationships in the scriptures, and how God looked at relationships as really the key of everything. And when you think about how our lives begin to be transformed when we come into relationship with God who is Trinity and relates to himself. Why wouldn't it be that actually he starts to want to touch our relationships with absolutely everything else? So here we have, um, and those arrows, of course, going in all different directions, not in one direction at all. But here we have our relationship with God, our loving creator, who is everything. He is the sustainer of the world. The Lord, our Father, Creator, Saviour, Counselor, Sustainer of the world. Um, then we have our neighbours, both local and global. Um, often the scriptures talk about local neighbours, except that Jesus moved that on to the Samaritans straight away, and they, they weren't as local. But actually today we can't get away from the fact that actually we've got Spanish farmers growing our courgettes for us. <coughs> And we've got Indian farmers growing our rice for us. We can't get away from the fact that we have a relationship with people across the world. And our relationship with God is going to be going to affect that relationship we have with others. Uh, we have personal relationships in our families. But perhaps one of the, the most obvious ways that we relate to our neighbours across the world is in this as customers. And as consumers, those customers. And then we come to the relationship with the land. Now, this might be something that you've not thought about before. But when you go back to Genesis, those of you who know your scriptures well, straight away we've got a relationship going on with people and the land. And that follows through, right through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And then we have Paul in Philippians, I think, saying, And God reconciles all things universe, his creation to himself. So God is actually about reconciling the world that he's made and put us on, everybody in it, and us. That's his great plan in the upside down kingdom. It's not just to make my life better. I mean, he does, thank thank the Lord. But it's actually, he's got this global desire to actually bring all of this back into correct relationship with himself, that got broken in in Genesis. Um, And we know, we've just looked at those statistics, and we know actually that the land, environment, and climate change, and poverty, vulnerability, marginalization, and all of those painful issues that are going on around our world are actually linked. We can't separate them out and say, I'm only going to care about people and I'm not going to care about climate, environment, earth. They're linked, and there's an impact all the way around. Um, One thing that's been noted is that Christians have tremendous compassion, and our hearts are ready ready straight away to respond in compassion and, and help as soon as we see somebody in trouble. But one of our challenges is that we sometimes don't think beyond that. We don't start to think, actually, what's caused that problem? What do I need to do to address the underlying causes? What do I need to learn about and understand a little bit more for that? Um, and you may have heard the story about Jeff, um, oh, Hoffman, I've forgotten his name now, um, the person who began Tearfront, or was one of the initiatives, Gerald Hoffman. Um, he tells the story about, you know, we we Christians are very good, churches are very good at um, um, dra- p- rescuing people out of the river, pulling them out of the river, but actually we need to go further down the river and find out who's throwing them in. <laughs> and that is true, and that's the challenge of this morning, is that we're going to think, we just need to think a little bit more about, not just responding with compassion and generosity, but how can I be part of the Model is a rarely useful one to think about and I find it very restoring and healing because it's all about relationships. Next, next one, and this relation, a lifestyle of worship, it leads us to a lifestyle of worship and I get very excited about this. I love to arrive at church and hear the singing and the worship here, um, whizzless to my heart and um, I love to be part of that. But it could be a mistake to think that that's our worship done for the day. We've had five minutes of wonderful worship. And that's it. No, it isn't. Now, as we walk out home and we go for the rest of the work, everything that we do can actually be part of our worship. Worship rarely means saying, I'm going to put God's priorities, his values, he's my king, he's going to be there at top and I'm going to follow and obey him and I'm going to start to look at the whole of my life here you've got an example of where the prophet says well just a moment, that's all very well, Isaiah says he says it much more rudely than that actually, with a lot more outrage, he says you know, you're doing your religious practices fine but actually they mean nothing to me because look at what you're not doing and what you're ignoring. (laughs) And God just says, you can't do it. We can't ignore the needs around us and worship him. But also, the other is true. It says you respond to those needs and you're worshipping him. So when when you give to the food bank, you're worshipping Jesus. When you... Choose how to use your car, you're worshipping Jesus. I like to say when you buy a fair trade banana, you're worshipping Jesus. How to worship God with a banana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love to think that actually I can put out my recycling bin yeah. with a, a song to sing, to say, here it is Lord, I'm giving it back to you. This, this means that worship can become all of our lives in a very uh, fundamental way. Next one. So have you picked all your olives? Um, I've said that in the scriptures there's this wonderful theme of um, the poor, the marginalised and the vulnerable. And some people have gone through their Bibles and cut out all the verses that refer to poor, poverty, justice and then hold up their Bibles and say, look, what's left? Because actually, there's not a lot left. And we don't realise just how much there is in here about these issues. But I've not done that. Just in here, some of those blue tabs are some of my working scriptures that I work with when I'm I'm working on these issues with different groups of people. And um, the yellow ones are, are verses of encouragement and the blue ones are the ones that are about injustice. And there's many more. These are the ones that I turn to quickly and easily. And um, we get very, we find the Old Testament and the Leviticus and Deuteronomy and parts of Exodus very difficult. But there are incredible gems in there. And I love these passages. In Deuteronomy 15 it says, Don't let there be any poor among you. This is God expressing to these rights in their new home, he's saying, this is how I want your society to be like. So he says, don't let there be any poor among you. And then if you carry on reading down, he says, but there'll be poor amongst you always, so be generous. <laughs> and I love this kind of realism that there is throughout the scriptures. It recognises that actually human society is always going to do this, um, the, the top and the bottom and that's why he says, turn it around, keep having to say, turn it around. So he says, <coughs> um, be generous always, be prepared to be generous. And then he goes on to make some really practical suggestions, the codes, uh, codes of behaviour for a community, include within some really interesting things. And I love this one, um, that's a thread throughout. It says, when you're harvesting your fields, never harvest right up to the edge always leave the edges for those who are the poor, the orphans, the widows, the strangers, the resident aliens. Because they actually need to be able to access those things. It's it's actually what we call inclusion today. It says make sure that people have access to what they need. And it goes on to your olive trees. When you harvest your olive trees, don't harvest them all. Leave some of the lower branches with some olives on. Leave them so that people can go and harvest those. And built um, within those codes the the amazing um, Sabbath principle Um, which interestingly enough, I think I'm right aid will know better than me Um, wasn't really just about worship it was actually more a kind of pause and a stop and a rest And it wasn't almost an issue of justice because it was on the Sabbath that the the slaves got their freedom after six years. It was on the Sabbath that people's debts got cancelled. It was on the Sabbath that the land rested, the animals rested, and I don't know how they managed to work this, but even the wild animals were supposed to rest. God said, pause, stop, and think about what you're doing in life and meter out justice. So right here, all the way through the scriptures, we've got this inbuilt system where we're going to say, build this into the lifestyle of a community and into your lifestyle, that you address the needs of the vulnerable. And of course, it it is also for us that when we feel very vulnerable, we know that actually community is supposed to be finding a way to include us. Thank you. So let's make a beginning now, this can be overwhelming, and there's lots that we could look at. We can, we're going to look a little bit at fair trade in a moment. And um, I'm aware, that so, and many of you will be aware, that actually fair trade is much more, and trade justice is going to be much more than coffee and tea and bananas. It's going to be, there's a am sure some of you have been aware of the, the technology issue, that actually um, all of our smartphones and our laptops are built on minerals that are mined from the developing world. And that there's much exploitation around that whole issue. So there's a whole movement talking about conflict-free minerals. And it's not at a place yet where we can really address it. There isn't a solution to it, but there's a campaign to make companies more and more... um, Transparent about where they're getting their minerals from and how the uh, people mining them are, are being treated. So, you do have a fair trade movement, a fair trade mobile phone movement, um, and you have an ethical supply of minerals for technology movement. Um, and that's a whole other issue that we can't go into this morning. So, it, we're talking about coffee and tea, but it begins and it moves right over to this place. But it does mean that we might start to think about, do I actually need to always renew my smartphone that quickly when my company tells me that they want to sell me another one? It might mean that we start to think these things through. So um, when I'm talking about making a beginning and bearing in mind we're not just talking about generosity, we're talking about addressing underlying causes and allowing God to kind of change our lifestyle As we seek to love and worship him, knowing that he loves us. One of the really important things that we live by, isn't it, is when God calls us, he equips us. So this isn't going to be impossible for us. I truly believe and have experienced that actually when we sit down and start to talk to Father about these extras in our lives that actually the Holy Spirit has a way and a very unique way for for me to respond, a possible way for me in my current circumstances to respond and change and adapt my lifestyle. And it won't be the same way as for you because you've got different challenges and different opportunities. Um, So it'll be different. And what I want to recommend is that actually instead of thinking, I can't respond to this. Morning, it's all too stressful and I don't know what to do with it all and now she's even talking about smartphones. You know? <laughs> How are we going to say It's going to be all right <laughs> because actually what I want to recommend as a result is that actually we start to revisit this idea of a Sabbath not necessarily on a Sunday and maybe not once a week but that actually you start to think about becoming a bit intentional about thinking, actually, maybe to begin with, twice a year, um, we're going to sit down in an evening or find a quiet moment, and I'm going to put some worship on, and I'm going to start to pray and worship, and I'm going to look up some of these scriptures and think about them and pray, and I'm going to get my bank statement out and my car manual out and my smartphone manual out, Mm -hmm. and um, I'm going to get my diary out. And I'm going to bring all of these things and say, Lord, this is my life. These are my responsibilities and my pressures. And now I want to worship you in these things. Speak to me. And I know God answers and speaks to us. Little bit by little bit, he'll tease out some of the things. He says, actually, you could just take a step further here. Maybe. Or have you considered this? Yeah. And there'll be doable things, achievable things. And um, it's great news that actually we've already made a start on this as a church. And um, one of the um, joys of this church is that we have that? It's a great service to us. Um, I've been in other churches with other Viv's, and it's it's been a great help there. Um, so... Um, As a church, we are buying, um, we've supplied our coffee by something, I think it's called Indigo, who are fair trade, who's especially set up fair trade company for church coffee. Wanted to supply good quality fair trade coffee for churches. Um, And then biscuits and sugar and tea and instant coffee and even washing up uh, Viv supplies for us, so that we've got that kind of little ethical, um, um, that ethical action in response to that model of those three things. I love the washing up liquid. You do understand about the washing up liquid. Some of you who know me well know that I am addicted to something called Monkey Life. And when I come home, I've recorded it and I put it on, and it's wonderful. It's an um, half an hour of sanity with this sanctuary of monkeys. Doing things, I can't tell you what a relief it is. And they've got orangutans there after, after I've had a taste of the mad world. Um, and tradecraft, you know, orangutans are, are um, under pressure because they're having to move out of their rainforests everywhere. This is part of environment, part of God's world. God loves the orangutans as well as sparrows. And they're having to move out of their tropical rainforests because we're growing palm oil. And palm oil is in everything. It's in our toothpaste, absolutely in everything. Really difficult to disengage. But one thing I can do is I can buy trade crafts, alternatives to this, which includes a palm oil that is grown in Ghana, where it was always grown, um, actually. And no row tanks have had to move out. <laughs> And the community there is really benefiting. And it's a little bit of prophetic. I think it's prophetic. You know, it's a little sign to the rest of the world to say, actually, this could be managed differently. So when I do my washing up as part of my worship, I'm being prophetic. And saying, it doesn't have to be that way. It could be different. So little steps to thinking about how the whole of our life could worship God in this way. Um, intentional living. It's saying, actually, I'm just going to give some time, twice a year, to look at how I can be intentional about things. Now, um, I've got a handout with loads of websites and books, so if you want to kind of learn more about this and experience more about this, just come to me for the handout and I can give that to you. Because part of that evening that you're going to spend with your diary out in front of you and a worship tape on and the scriptures and in the presence of your loving God um, will be maybe getting onto the internet and learning a little bit about it. There are plenty of Christian organisations out there. So church has made a beginning with Tear Fund and uh, with Tradecraft. It, it is a lovely thing that we do during the week when we're serving tea and coffee, but we ask people for donations for Tear Fund and um, um, I happen to get a report from Tear Fund about every, every other month I get a report to say, thank you very much for the 80 pounds you've sent, you know, and it is as a result of that tea and coffee, right there in the heart of what we're doing week by week. Um, so we're doing the coffee and the tea, we're doing the donations to Tear Fund, um, and we're doing, um, I know that there's been an agreement made that this church is going to look and um, find um, a green energy supplier. There are low. There's been a great growth in that in all areas, so there are plenty of green energy suppliers. And for those of us who live in Folleton and who only have electricity and storage heaters, I've got a great new one. You can come and ask me about. But um, uh, most of them are now dual powered as well. So uh, the big switch. All the aid agencies have signed up to this. Christian Aid, Tear Fund, CAFOD, Oxfam, they're all asking their supporters to consider the big switch to a a green energy. And this church has agreed to do that, and in a process we will get to do that as well. But this is something that we can do, even as individuals, even as quite um, low-income families, this is something that we can consider that you know, after an evening spent with the Lord investigating it and seeing it and finding it and thinking, yes Lord, this is something I can do. We twin our toilet. Did you know that? I think we've lost the picture and the certificate in the, in the church, but um, I think some friends arranged that and we actually, our toilet out there is twinned <laughs> with another toilet somewhere else and this is something that we can do as individuals. Lots of things that we can do. That builds a worship, so we go into the loom, we flush the loom, we say, thank you, Lord. (laughs) So, my challenge to you this morning is going to be not to try to solve the world's problems, but to know that we are taking part in an upside-down kingdom where top of God's news feeds are the people who are being impacted by climate change. We're people who are working hard to feed their families but are not earning enough and not growing enough. And us, we come top of this news feed too. And that my challenge is that you're going to spend some time in the next year just learning a little bit more about this with a loving father. That you're going to get the, your, your bank statements and your diary and um, your bills the things that you love around you and the internet, if you have access to it. And you're going to look at it and just consider what small changes you could make in response to God's love. One really small change, I had a friend working at Tear Fund that came back after spending a month in a particular slum work. And from that day onwards, when he came back, He always said, I mean he gave anyway, but he did this as an act of worship. He loved his music. In those days it was CDs, now it's downloads. But he used to buy a CD. He said every time he considered a CD, because of his act of worship and his desire to be in solidarity with the poor of the world, he said, I'll buy that CD and I'll donate to Tear Fund at the same time, just as an act of worship. That's something you can do if you can afford a CD not all of us can, but it's little things like that that make a response that will be quite creative and quite unique to you, and as you do this, if you do share them with me, it would be lovely to hear, but um, so, our challenge, can you think now, just for this next moment, about, yeah, right, Sally, that's an idea, I have no idea when I'm going to do that, because I'm very busy. But when might it be that you could spend an evening or an after Sunday afternoon doing this? Is it going to be over Easter? Is it going to be in the summer? Is it going to be some time when you would have gone to the beach, but actually you could stay in and look at this with God? Have a think. We're now going to have a look at a, a modern day parable. So I'm going to leave you thinking about that.